This sermon is brought to you by Shatter State Chi Alpha. As you listen, we hope that you enjoy it and that it helps you in your walk. Please visit our website in the information below and drop us a message. We would love to hear from you. So I know sometimes in, in our life, and I'm still young, kind of, I'm old, but not old, old. Like old people look at me and they're like, you're not very old. But young people are like, yeah, dude, you're old. But anyway, in our youth, uh, a lot of times we look at our future as something that is going to happen later in life. Like a lot of times, especially when I was in college, I know I'm 10 years older than you guys. Most of you guys are like 20 or, or younger. But I know when I was 20 years old, I looked at my future as something that was going to be later on in life. It was, it was a long ways down the road. When I looked at like 30, I thought, yeah, that's going to be like forever down the road. I've got a long time to get my life together before that point in time. But as somebody who is turning 30 in May, I can tell you 30 comes up a lot faster than you realize. Like, you graduate high school, and then all of a sudden it feels like the next year you're all of a sudden having your 10-year class reunion, and then you're starting to realize that the future is creeping up on you, and all that planning that you push towards tomorrow, uh, you didn't get done because you still kept looking at the future as something that was going to be way later down the road. And so I want to challenge you guys to not look as your future, not look at your circumstances as where you're at, as something that can change later on down the road or something you need to work on later on down the road or something you need to do later on down the road. I want you guys to look at where you're at presently in life and realize that tomorrow is absolutely not guaranteed whatsoever. And the life you are living is right now. And if you wait till tomorrow to get something done, you're just going to be a day later delayed into getting it done. <laughs> and so as a Christian, we, are, we, we should be, as someone who truly believes in Jesus Christ, truly believes in heaven, we should be excited for when Jesus Christ returns, right? Like, when Jesus returns, that means we don't have to deal with the good and the bad. We don't have to deal with the crap of this life anymore. And we get to be in heaven, and we get to be standing face-to-face with God, right? Jesus coming back should be something that is looked forward to by all Christians. I mean, look in Scripture. Every Christian was so excited for when Jesus would return. But I can honestly tell you, I I guarantee when I talk about Jesus returning, if I said Jesus is going to return tomorrow, there's a high percentage of us in here of self-proclaiming Christians who will look at that and be fearful, who will look at that and be like, no, I don't want that to come. I've got things in my life I want to do before Jesus comes. I've got things I want to get done before Jesus comes. I need to get my life right before Jesus comes. I'm afraid of this sin I've been struggling with. I need to get rid of that before Jesus comes. And I can tell you, if that is your attitude, you have the wrong mindset about who Jesus is. And you have idols in your life you've got to deal with sooner than later. Because we should be none other than excited. Obviously, you know, I want to have kids. I want to have a family. I want to do these things. But man, I would much rather Jesus came tomorrow than any of that stuff. Because I am excited to meet Jesus. And so oftentimes, where that comes from, that, that feeling of, of doom and that feeling of not wanting him to come, a lot of times comes from a lot of us might have grown up in Christian families. 
We might have grown up Christian and in a Christian group. And we'll pro- proclaim that we've been a Christian since we've been 10 years old, but perhaps we've never even read the Bible all the way through. If I, and I'm not going to have you guys show your hands, but if I ask you guys tonight to show your hands of who's read the Bible all the way through, I guarantee it would be a lot lower of a percentage than you would even realize. And so if we're proclaiming that we love Jesus Christ with our entire lives and we haven't even read the Bible, I'm not going to condemn you tonight, but I'm going to tell you that should be your number one goal right now. Read the Bible all the way through. Put your eyes to the paper and read it. You don't have to memorize it the first time through. You don't have to come up with three chapters that you're going to memorize the first time through, but get through it. Find the translation that's easy to read, like the message. It's designed to be read quickly. Pull out the message translation on your phone, get a Bible, order it, whatever you got to do, and read the entire Bible. Make that your goal for the summer. Make that your goal before the school semester is over with. Read the entire Bible. So if you get nothing else out of the rest of my sermon other than what I just said, remember that. You need to put your eyes to paper and read the Bible. You will, like, extremely grow out of that. Because saying, I decided to follow Jesus Christ and saying the words one time doesn't automatically make you a follower of Jesus Christ. Any more than saying, I'm committed to becoming a bodybuilder and I go out and I buy a membership to the local gym, but I never once step foot in it again does not automatically make me a bodybuilder. Saying you are a follower of Jesus Christ is a lifetime commitment, and it is the very first step. And if that's the only step you've taken, you're just one step into your walk. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is a daily act. It is something that we need to do constantly. We need to be walking with Christ constantly. And so tonight, I'm not like trying to condemn everybody in here. I'm just kind of shooting from the hip. I guarantee I've probably said something that struck a nerve with almost every single one of you guys in here. And my goal isn't to to condemn you tonight. My goal is I want to perform surgery, and I want to get you guys healed up and bandaged up so that when you're not under my care, you guys can survive as Christians in the world today. And so don't think that I'm just setting out tonight to make you guys feel bad. Just understand I'm trying to get to that nerve. I'm trying to get to that place where you guys admit there's something more in your walk with Christ that you need to do to grow. And so once we can be in that place where we admit that I need to do more, I need to search after Christ more, I need to, to read my Bible, I need to seek Jesus, as soon as you can get to that vulnerable spot, then the real work starts to take place. And we can get on to the next part of my sermon. Because I've, I've said it here a million times, my goal is not to make you guys feel like crap. My intention isn't to make you feel bad about yourself or make you feel guilty or anything like that. It's to help you walk on a more firm foundation in Christ. Because when it comes down to it, every single one of you guys in here were handcrafted by God. Every single one of you was intentionally made by God. 
There's no other way around it. You were made by God. How awesome is that? Like, like think about it. You were made by God. Like when I think about things that are made by God, my first thought goes to the stars, sunsets. Man, when you look up at the night sky from an empty field in the middle of nowhere and you can just see all the billions of lights, I think, yeah, God created that. When I look up at the moon on just a beautiful, crisp night, maybe a little fog in the air, it's easy to say God created that. When you look at beautiful, majestic mountains, when you're in Yellowstone Park, when you're at the ocean, it's easy to think God made that. But so often, when I think of things that God's made, I let it in there and I forget or I purposely choose not to recognize that God made me. And there's a reason for that. Because if I try to skim over the fact God made me, it makes it a little easier to do some of the other things in life maybe I shouldn't be doing. Because when I think about the fact God made me, I come face to face with the responsibility of living my life with intention. And if I forget that God made me, it makes it a little bit easier to watch Netflix for the rest of my day. Makes it a little easier to just chill out on Facebook for the rest of the day. When I can ignore that God made me, it makes it easier to ignore my walk with Christ. And it makes it easier for me to follow the world and what the world says I should want for my life. Because our entire lives were made with a purpose in mind. Your life has a purpose, and God puts you here intentionally by design. There is a reason for you being here. There's a reason for you being here tonight. There is a purpose. And that purpose is, We were saved by grace to show God glory. Our entire lives are to show God glory. The purpose. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. All of it for the glory of God. Do everything for the glory of God. And it, I like how it just starts out with the basics. Like, it doesn't say what job you get. It doesn't say the family you raise. It doesn't say what you do with the entirety of your entire life as far as career goes or how you make your living or anything like that. It starts with the basics of life. What you eat and what you drink, do it for the glory of God. Man, it's, if it's going to break it down that much, like how many times do I walk up to somebody, I'm like, hey, Reuben, how you, what you been up to lately? And he responds with like, I ate a baked potato and I drank some water and that's about how my day's gone. Like that is the basics of our life. And it's saying no matter what you do, no matter what you eat, no matter what you drink, do it all for the glory of God. Like how many times have I been eating something and I stop and I reflect on the fact that God provided that for me and it, he created that like, when I think of things God's created as far as food goes, man, I think of a, a prime rib steak. Like, that's an easy one to think about. 
Like when you got the perfect juicy steak and you're taking a bite of it, how often do you honestly think, damn, thank you, God. When last time you were biting into an apple, you know, that crisp feeling and that crisp taste and just the juice rolls out. I think actually I, I like to think of like a juicy, juicy pear. And you can just feel the juices start running down your cheek. Like, when was the last time I thought, man, thank you for this pair, God? Like, how insane is that? That God thought to give us taste buds and provide us with something that we enjoy when we eat, rather than it just being absolutely tasteless and we just digest dog food every single day. Like, thank you, Lord, for this pair. Man, it tastes so amazing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. You are so amazing. The fact that you thought of this provision, man, you are so holy. You are so amazing. Like, when was the last time you thought about that? I know it's been a long time since I've thought about that. We are to do all things for the glory of God. And sometimes, that's a lot harder than other times. Today is actually the, the one-year anniversary. It came up in our news feed of when Courtney was in the hospital and we were looking at emergency surgery and she was on the verge of death. And you guys who know me know that this last year didn't all of a sudden become awesome after that. This last year just kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Even through all that. No, no, no. Especially through all that. All that I went through was to bring God glory. Because through it all, no matter how much worse it got, Courtney's grandma passing away, my mom passing away, Courtney being so sick, man, through it all, God was still so gracious. And my purpose in life was still to bring God glory, even through all the garbage. But then again, on the reverse side, when, God, when everything is going great, you got money, you have a house, you have a wife, you have a car, you have a dog. We have everything in life. It's almost like a, a reverse country song. You have a car, you have a house, you have a life. Even when you have everything, man, our focus shouldn't be on the house, the car, the family, the, the provisions. It should be on God. You are so glorious. Because then when the country song begins to play out, the right way, and you lose your house, you lose your car, you lose your dog, and you lose your money, you still can bring God glory. Because your focus wasn't on the items of this world. Your focus wasn't on the provisions. Your focus was on Jesus Christ. And so especially through the bad, we are still to give God glory. Because I think when we take a step back and we look at all of the crap we've done in our lives, the screw-ups we've made, the, the mistakes we've made, the, the problems we've, we've dealt with so improperly, and then we, in return, think about the extent that God has still gone for us, the extent of what God has still done for us. 
I think when we're face to face with that, it challenges our outlook a little bit. Because in this room, without Jesus Christ, there is not a single one of you who is good. In this entire room, you can't pick out a single person who without Jesus Christ is good, is inherently good. We are all evil, we all screw up, and we all fall short of the glory of God. Because when I think about evil people, when I think about people that are not good, that have no ounce of good in them, my mind doesn't immediately go to you guys. My mind immediately goes to terrorists and those Muslims who kidnapped the 200 Christian girls and did horrible things to them. That's how I think of evil. I think of Hitler. I think of genocide. I think of people murdering people. I think of the, the, the worst of the worst of the world. That's how I view evil. But when it comes down to it, every single one of us in this room are just as evil as those guys. We have all screwed up. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So hear this carefully. You take Jesus out of the equation and you and I are just as evil as them. It is solely Jesus in us that makes us good. Life is not judged on a scale where you can look at your neighbor and say, I'm better than them, and so I deserve heaven. That's not how Christianity works. That's not how Jesus works. It is not graded on a scale. You are pinned up against the law, and you fall short. And even if it was judged on a scale, and from Hitler over here to Jesus, I think we'd line up a little closer to Hitler than we'd be comfortable with. And so even if it was graded on a scale, I think we'd be a little uncomfortable with what the results would be without Jesus Christ in our lives. And I think when we truly begin to realize that, I'd say when, the closer and closer I get to walking with Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean the less and less that I sin. The closer and closer I walk to Jesus Christ, the more and more I recognize my tendencies towards sin. And the more I set up provisions in order to prevent me from falling into that temptation. And so I think that when we truly begin to realize that, we truly begin to realize who we are without Jesus and and what we've done and the screw-ups that we've made, I think when we're face-to-face with that, the cross becomes so much bigger to us. It's no longer just a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's no longer a, a religion of my parents. It's no longer a you name it, it becomes so much bigger to us and the miracles of God become so much bigger to us and realizing what God has done for us becomes so much huger. I know that's not a word, but it sounds awesome. Becomes so much more huge to us. When we're face to face with what God has done for us, the car you drive becomes so much more of a blessing. The house you live in the food you eat, the classes you're taking, the fact that you're able to get an education becomes so much more of a blessing to us. And we can begin to react towards these things 
more appropriately. Lord, thank you for the food you've given me to enjoy so that through eating it, I can praise your name. Now, I'm not a fan of the fire and brimstone preaching style. I don't like the you should come to Jesus so that you don't go to hell kind of preaching style, but I need to focus on something really quick, and I'll try to do it as quickly as possible, but hell is a real place. When we're face-to-face with what hell really is, a lot of times people will begin to come up with excuses for, for why hell can't exist or why hell shouldn't exist in order to vindicate what they're doing in life. More often than not, the response is, well, if God's really real and he's really good, then hell can't exist. If God is, is really as awesome as he says he is, then there's no way he could create a hell. And so I want to ask you a question. Keeping in mind, hell was in, initially created for Satan and the beasts and, and fallen demons. I want to ask you the question, does Satan deserve to go to hell? As soon as you ask that question, it becomes obvious, yes. Satan is evil. He deserves to go to hell. More like unanimously, we can decide that Satan and demons and and the beast deserve to go to hell. That's a place, of course, yeah. Yeah, if hell's real, yeah, those guys can go there. But then let me respond to you like this. Did not God make Satan? Did not God make the demons? Did not God make you and me? Just like Satan, just like the demons, we all fall short. It makes perfect sense to me that hell exists. Knowing the heart of mankind, it makes perfect sense. That's the one thing I think within Scripture that makes sense to me is that hell exists and there are people that deserve it and Satan deserves it and it's a real place. We've made our mistakes. We've screwed up. We've made these decisions. We fall short. We made the choice to fall short. That all makes sense to me. What doesn't make sense to me What absolutely blows my mind above anything else is that even though we make our mistakes, even though we screw up, even though we've done all these things we've done, God then responds to us, I don't want you to go to hell. I'm going to set this up from the beginning so that you have a way out. I want to make sure you're in heaven with me. And from the beginning, there was a plan A, and the plan A was Jesus all along. Jesus was not a plan B. From the beginning, God set up a way for us to not have to deal with our own mistakes. That doesn't make sense to me. Why would God, knowing how evil we are, how much we screw up, why would he still provide a way for us to get into heaven? I don't understand God's grace. It doesn't make sense to me. But I am so happy for it. I am filled with joy when I think of God's grace. 
that when I approach what God's done for us this way, and I approach what God has provided for us through Jesus, my response to God through the hard times is a lot less of, God, why won't you do this? God, will you please do this for me? Why aren't you doing this for me? And it becomes more, thank you, God, for what you have done for me. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that even though I am so messed up, you still provided a way. Because when we're face to face with that, and we're face to face with the cross and what Jesus did for us, we have no choice other than to repent. We have no choice other than to make that the focus of our entire lives to bring God glory. He has to be my focus when I work, when I wake up, and even with what I eat and drink. It becomes that much more important. And the problem is that our world is telling you you need to live for the moment, you need to live right now, You need to experiment while you're in college. You need to do this. You need to do that. And trying to force this dictatorship-style outlook on life on you and make you believe that everything is designed for you to be happy in life. And so you need to accrue this kingdom in order to enjoy the life you've been given. Our response to that needs to be, we need to flee from that. We need to flee from that mindset as fast as we possibly can. Because last week, those of you who were here heard my testimony. You heard all the ways in which I do not deserve to be standing in front of you preaching the gospel of Jesus Jesus Christ. You've heard all of the different ways in which I don't deserve to be the head of Chi Alpha Chadron State. The, the director, whatever you want to call me, pastor. I don't deserve to stand up in front of you and do the Lord's work. But it is the grace of God that placed me here. And it is solely by the grace of God because I do not deserve this. And you guys did hear last week that it is solely by the grace of God that I'm even alive based off of the things that I have done in my past and the things that went on. So how selfish of me would it truly be to take that grace, take that grace that God has given me and never share it with anybody else? How selfish of me to take what God has given me, the grace he has shown me, and never once share it with somebody else? How selfish of me would that be? To never make a disciple to never baptize anyone. How selfish of me to never have at least the intention to share. I truly hope that when you guys write out your your bucket lists or your your top ten things that you want to do with your life, I hope number one, number two, and number three are to make disciples to bring people to Christ, and to baptize in the name of the Son, Father, and the Holy Spirit. I hope those are number one, number two, and number three. 
because those are the most important things that we can do in response to the grace that God has given us. Turn your Bibles tonight to Acts 4.12. If you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen. Acts 4, starting in verse 12. We're going to read a little while, so stick with me. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. There's so much in this little passage of scripture that I can't even focus it on or focus on all of it tonight. So I want you guys to go back and, and reread this a couple times after service tonight, after you, before you go to bed tonight. But the thing that I want to focus on here tonight, and I'm going to take this whole sermon a completely different direction, and you're going to understand why. The thing that astonished them, even though these men had healed a man, these men had literally just got done healing something, the thing that astonished them wasn't that the, the man was healed. The thing that astonished them was that they had, or that they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized they were unschooled and ordinary men. They were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. So, what is the next step? You know Jesus Christ. You understand his glory. You understand who you are. You understand how amazing God is. What is the next step? We need to be courageous for Christ. You don't have a Bible degree? So what? You don't have two books of the Bible memorized? So what? I already called you out for maybe not reading the whole Bible? So what? They might make fun of you? So what? They might mock you? So what? They might disagree with you. So what? They might ignore you. So what? What does it matter that comes against you? Because it is about time that we, as Christians, and I'm talking about all across the board, American Christians, it is about time that we ask God for some courage and we share 
about how amazing Jesus is. Because your silence on the issue speaks louder than we could ever even imagine. When we stand face to face with the things that God has done for us. When we begin to really realize what really is important in life. When we begin to fathom what's at stake here and we recognize what hell is and we recognize what heaven is. Praying for courage to share the gospel, making disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit with boldness just seems to make a lot of sense. Because I've noticed that in my walk with Christ, when I decide I'm going to step out with boldness and do what the Holy Spirit's asking me to do and just step out in faith, I notice that that moment when I decide to do that is the moment when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon me. And it becomes so much easier to do what God has asked us to do. Because as a church, and Chi Alpha is a church, as a body of Christ here tonight, if we are more reliant on Pastor Tanner to share the gospel than the Holy Spirit, We've got it all wrong. If we're more relying on Courtney to share the gospel than we are the Holy Spirit through us, we've got it all wrong. When we're focusing more on the small group leaders, Reuben, Taylor, Kayla, whoever the small group leaders are, we're relying on the small group leaders to share about the gospel of Christ more than we are the Holy Spirit within us. Man, we are at an unhealthy place as a church. Because it is the Holy Spirit in you that is at work. Not just me. And when the time comes and you decide you're going to step out in boldness and you become a little more courageous for Christ, God's going to give you the words to say. He's going to show you the steps to take. He's going to help you out. And if you fall flat on your face, who cares? Stand up and do it again. You will fail. You're going to fail a lot sharing the gospel. That doesn't give you permission to quit. It just means we need to step out with even more courage. Because it's about time that we respond appropriately to the grace God has shown us and extend that grace on to others because that is the only grace that is worth sharing with others. You can do it. You can share the gospel. In fact, you are chosen by God to do it. Not me, not just me, I'm chosen too. Not just Courtney, not just some small group leaders, 
not just that person that seems a little holier than you. You are chosen by God to share the grace of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. And if Chi Alpha Shadron State, under my watch, could be known for anything, it wouldn't be about how huge of a ministry it is. It wouldn't be about how many people attend. It wouldn't be about how awesome the worship is. It wouldn't be about how good of a speaker Tanner is. I am. I hate speaking in third person. It wouldn't be about how good my sermons are how my sermons hit you every single week. No, if I could choose anything, I think it would be about how courageous Chi Alpha Shatter State was by sharing the message of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come here tonight. Lord, above all else, we thank you for the grace that you've shown us. We thank you that even though we fall short, even though we make mistakes, even though we continue to make mistakes, even though we might have made a mistake and sinned right before we came in here tonight, Lord, you still extend your grace to us. And Lord, I do thank you for choosing us to share the gospel of Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit coming and empowering us. And so, Lord, I ask of you that you would make every single person in this room, including myself, more courageous. That you would help us to step out with more boldness. Lord, that every single person in this room would be ten times more courageous when they walk out of here than when they walked in. Lord, help us to transform this campus. Help us to share the gospel on this campus with boldness, never seen before. And Lord, help us to dig into you and to remember to pray and to read our Bible and to prepare for our day the right way when we wake up in the morning so that we can be more courageous. Lord, we thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So tonight, it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 15 years. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for a week. It doesn't matter if after service tonight you give your life to Christ. The Holy Spirit can and will use you to, to reach somebody else who is lost, confused, depressed, struggling, alone, whatever you want to say, whatever problem this world has inflicted upon them, the Holy Spirit will use you to reach people. And so we, as a response, need to be looking for those opportunities. So instead of praying, Holy Spirit, would you reach this person, say, Holy Spirit, 
what would you like me to do today? What would you like me to say to this person? What words would you have for them? Help me to share your message with them. Because if you won't do it on this campus, who will?